0: Shame on us, churches. We've done it again. We've given up orthodoxy so readily that what's left of our faith actually has more holes in it than Swiss cheese. And we've dumbed ourselves down so much that we've compromised any credibility we may have had in the first place. You see what we've done? We have opened ourselves up to scathing assaults, biting attacks against our very core beliefs because we ourselves have cast them aside. Or if we've kept them, we've trivialized them. Today we're diving into a new series on the best-selling book, The God Delusion, by Richard Dawkins, British biologist and atheist. This is his popular manifesto attacking religious faith, the belief in God. We'll go for about eight weeks here on this book and on atheism in general. And though, of course, Dawkins is wrong and his conclusions are absolutely false, we're going to start today by affirming a lot of what he says about typical belief in God. And, dare we say it, of typical so-called Christianity. Thanks for listening to Sinners and Saints.
1: In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.
0: We welcome you to Sinners and Saints. I'm Adam Kaloustian, the pastor at the Ontario United Reformed Church, Ontario, California, with my co-host Moses Jambazian of the Pasadena United Reformed Church and John Sautel, pastor of All Saints Reformed Church in the city of Walnut, California. We are certainly glad that you are with us as we are introducing our new series here, focusing on the recently published book by Richard Dawkins, the British biologist and atheist titled The God Delusion, It's not just uh, Dawkins in print in that book, but you've seen his interview maybe in Time Magazine, and he's making the lecture circuit, certainly in the promotion of his book and of his ideas. A lot of people are talking about them, and we thought it would be prudent for us to uh, discuss uh, that book in the series. We honestly can say that, at least I can, going through this book, reading this book, I went through the gamut of emotions. Uh, Many emotions welled up inside me as I read it. There was some anger, of course, uh, some sadness at times, uh, certainly a little fear and intimidation at the outset, You know, some angst, some wrestling with the ideas that he was uh, presenting, some doubt, and at the last, some uh, renewed confidence also, of course. But one thing I can tell you that stuck out in my mind, and this is what we want to talk about here in the first show, is that I found myself, maybe surprisingly, agreeing with some of his basic points about how bankrupt typical theistic faith really is. I mean, I came away from this book thinking, wow, you know, the blood is on our hands. It's easy to read a book like this and just jump to all the things we disagree with and not take seriously some of the things that he points out. I mean, I found the book to be entertaining even in some respects because he got he put his finger right on some of the problems with typical Christian theism.
2: Yeah, he's uh, very adept at pointing out all the inconsistencies, hypocrisies, and in a very humorous way poking fun at the obvious targets in evangelicalism and the typical host of hypocrites to Pat Robertson's and so forth in religion. But one of the things that I thought was very interesting about his book that I thought uh, really caught my eye early on when I was reading is that he says there is this widespread assumption that religious faith is especially vulnerable to offense and there should therefore should be protected by an abnormally thick wall of respect. And... You know, he says, no, we should take the gloves off. Religion is just one more idea out there in the marketplace of ideas. So whether it's economics, politics, science, biology, mathematics, whatever, it should be subject to the same kind of honest criticism. And that's one thing that I found refreshing about the book. Even though I disagree with his conclusions entirely, he's 100% right. Where was it ever said that there must be some uh, sort of politically correct rule about how we speak about religions and, oh, we don't want to offend people because they have this uh, subjective belief in some mysterious god. And so he rightly criticizes with deep cynicism and wit the stupidity of people and the kinds of things they do and say in the name of religion.
1: And if anything, religion should be open to more criticism because you're asking people to commit everything in their lives to this one article of faith that you're presenting regardless of what the religion is, including atheism, you need to be able to back it up. You need to be able to explain it and to understand it and believe it yourself before you try to pimp it on others. But unfortunately, as Dawkins points out, and unfortunately from our perspective
0: too, it's typically Christians and other theists of different varieties who do not show this kind of intellectual honesty. In fact, one of his main criticisms is of people who, who don't think that they have to have any rational justification for the things that they believe. It's a farce, he says, and we agree it's a farce and it's intellectually dishonest to say that we believe in something or have faith in something that we don't actually believe is true. This is one example of of Christians or theists being intellectually dishonest. There's a lot of people who claim to have religious faith, who claim to follow, say, the Christian faith, believe in the Bible, but they don't believe that it really has any correspondence to the truth. I mean, they may think it has some value for morality or for cultural promotion or for some sort of unity, but they don't believe that the the declarations, the proclamations are actually true, and this is absolutely unacceptable and hypocritical. We agree with Dawkins on that. Well,
2: this. that's the essence of delusion, and he even defines it in his book at the outset, so he's very specific about what kind of theism or faith system he's attacking, which ends up being all faith systems, according to him. But the essence of delusion is to believe in something having ultimate significance or value for understanding reality And believing in that thing contrary to all facts or evidence. And uh, that is the epitome of delusion and stupidity at the same time. And he's right to critique that and say, wait a second, if you are going to run around insisting that people accept this faith, insisting that they take you seriously— and you don't have any justification at all for the kinds of things that you are trying to say you believe in, you ought to be subject to a thorough criticism, which he does in the book.
0: Yeah, it takes a couple of different forms, this kind of intellectual dishonesty that he's talking about. I mean, one category is the people who actually have considered the claims of the Scripture, and they absolutely see, from their own understanding, contrary evidence to it, and yet still will maintain it. The other category is people who don't really believe it. Maybe they don't haven't really thought carefully about the evidence, per se, but they don't really believe the claims, say, of the Christian faith, but they hold to it for other reasons. I mean, they're... Different forms of the same thing, but it all is is basically summed up in this, saying that you believe something that really, deep down, you don't believe. And he gives another uh, a number of examples of the kinds of people that he runs into or that he reads or that have talked to him that represent this. He talks about some of his scientific colleagues, and uh, some of them have uh, wrestled with the metaphysical claims of the Scripture, and they find them in their heart of hearts to be untrue. And yet they want to maintain their religious faith. And he's calling them out and saying, no, come out and really say what you believe. You're not a Christian if you don't believe the claims of the Christian God. If you don't believe what the Bible says to be true, then you're not a Bible-believing Christian. Just come out and say it. There's, these are his scientific colleagues. He gives other examples of uh, pastors and clergy of different denominations who, you know, clothe themselves in religious language, but they don't really believe what they're saying.
1: And sadly, we have all experienced this. Every few years a survey comes out, especially with the Anglican priests in England where it's government paid. But it's true, across denominations, you have large numbers of people in the professional ministry who are themselves atheists. They don't believe any of this stuff, but it's a nice job, it's convenient, it gives you some respect in the community. And there's also others who are just too afraid to finally reject what they believe to be wrong. And when Dawkins criticizes them, We should not be rushing to these people's defense. We should actually be affirming his criticism is right. You should not say you believe something that you do not find to be intellectually tenable. Does that mean that now we are encouraging people to abandon Christianity? No, what we're arguing is that these people aren't Christians to begin with. They need to stop deluding themselves and wanting something to be true that they don't believe is. Yeah,
0: we're just going to point out, I mean, let me... Let me make you aware here, don't don't be worried about this. We don't believe that faith in Christianity is contrary to the evidence. That's the assumption, of course, that Dawkins makes throughout his book and tries to argue for that. And we'll address that in later shows. But still, you ought not to say you believe in something that you don't think is true.
2: Right. Well, you know, just to bring in some evidence of this, there was a poll done recently, conducted uh, in America— Uh, asking people whether they believe God exists, and over 50% of the people who were polled said no, they did not believe uh, in a firm or certain existence of God. Now, how can that be when you consider the fact that most people would describe themselves as Christians in our country? I think the numbers are up as far as maybe 70 to 75%. How could out of that same slice of people you find a good 25% statistically who claim to be Christians yet don't trust in God? The point that he's making here is that there are all kinds of reasons for why people have sham beliefs or identify themselves with religion, and a lot of those have to do with uh, whether it's cultural conditioning, whether that's because there's some perceived benefit out of being called a Christian, whether that's political, economic, or whatever. We have a lot of people who claim to be Christians— who simply just don't believe in any of the Christian tenets, let alone the people who supposedly believe in the tenets of Christianity, but don't even have them right. Yeah, he has a great story about the common
0: uh, person in the pew who says that they believe in God but really don't. He's, uh, I think it was talking about his own mother when he was explaining to her that he didn't believe in God anymore or that he had become an atheist, I think it was, that word has such a stigma attached to it, atheist. And the conversation went something like, well— you know, Mom, I'm an atheist, and she was horrified. And he said, well, why are you horrified? All it means is that I don't believe in God. And she said, well... It's one thing. It's okay if you don't believe in God, but don't be an atheist. <laughs> Which just shows I mean it's it's just accepted, isn't it, among common typical professing Christians that maybe there's a complete disconnect between a profession of, of faith that actually believing the stuff is true and saying that you're a Christian. You don't have to do that. And that's absolutely intellectually dishonest and that is not True faith.
1: Well, even in our own experience, we came out of some churches where we were critiquing some of the ministers saying, you know, these men don't believe. And the response was not, you men are slandering the names of these fine ministers. The response was, we all know they don't believe. What does that have to do with anything? They're still serving in the role of minister. and So when the Christians will not take seriously their faith, when they won't even ask their ministers to believe, of course Dawkins has a right to criticize us. Of course those outside the church have a right to mock us. And rather than defending ourselves, let's clean house. Let's admit that this is a problem and actually throw out those who will not believe. It reminds me of the old humorous story about the guy who went to
2: church and they were confessing together the Athanasian Creed and they got to the part where they said the Father is incomprehensible, the Son is incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit is incomprehensible. And the guy turned over to his neighbor and he says, I don't understand that. And the guy replied to him, well, the whole damn thing's incomprehensible to me. And (laughs) I think that gets to the point here is that there's a lot of people who just repeat things mindlessly. And because uh, rather than doing some study, some thought, some research, oh, they implicitly say, okay, it must be true because the guy up front said it was or because their mom and dad before them said it was. And they sort of just sit there mindlessly repeating things, and then they call that Christian. But, but that's the kind of sham belief, I think, that Dawkins is, is pointing fingers at and, and poking a little bit. And I think we ought to as well. If, if we're really Christians, we ought to have an intelligent understanding the best we can of the basic uh, tenets and aspects of our faith. So Dawkins does something here very useful for Christians. He's pushing them, even if they don't accept his arguments, to go back and look at their own. Why do they profess what they believe?
1: Another famous one is what's commonly termed Pascal's wager, and whether Pascal or not really was teaching this is irrelevant because a lot of people still believe it and use it. And the idea is, look, there either is a god or there isn't a god. If there isn't a god, it really doesn't matter what you believe, but if there is a god, you really would mess up if you did not believe him. And so isn't it just safer to believe in god whether or not you really do believe in god? So You're really basically being told under this kind of a logic to fake your belief, to feign everything and make it seem like there's some value to something you really don't believe, which, of course, leads to sheer hypocrisy.
2: Yeah, it— reminds me of something, it sounds similar to the whole concept of the flying spaghetti god monster that was sort of created on the internet tongue-in-cheek. It makes about as much sense believing in that as it does believe in, in the so-called god of Pascal's wager, because either way, there's no justification, there's no evidence, it's a completely irrational, blind leap of faith, and it sort of is commentary on how I think a lot of people perceive of religion here today, and I heard it summarized in a show years and years ago where this guy's in the courtroom and they're arguing over ultimate moral beliefs or something. Finally, the judge decides the case and says that faith begins where reason ends. And I think that's pretty typical of how contemporaries think of religion. It's supposed to be irrational. So choose some object of faith, no matter how ludicrous it is, and just sort of uh, irrationally embrace it and hope that somehow it's like a good good luck charm will make life uh, sensible or meaningful or bring you some sort of success or whatever in life. So this is Dawkins' characterization of faith. I got a quote here.
0: Faith is an evil precisely because it requires no justification and Brooks no argument. And our point is that in one sense, you can't really blame Dawkins for saying that this is what religious faith is because a lot of people who profess to have religious faith define it just this way. And they don't care if they deep in their heart think that there's contrary evidence or deep in their heart don't really believe what they're saying is true. They don't care. But, but what we want to point out here is that this is not at all what true religious faith believes, okay? I want to take you to our classical definition of faith, and faith has three parts. It's knowledge, assent to that knowledge, and a trust in Christ that he has redeemed you from your sins. But once you think about those first two parts, knowledge, it's an awareness of the stuff that we are saying that is true, that God has revealed in his word. But it's more than that it's an assent to that knowledge, it's a belief that it's actually true. If you don't have knowledge, obviously, you don't have true faith, but not only you're aware of the stuff and you somehow accommodate it in your worldview, but you must assent to it. You must believe that it's actually true. And if you don't, you don't have true faith. And of course, not even that's enough to have true faith. You must have uh, the trust, the assurance in Christ who has redeemed you from your sins. But You've got to understand, faith is not believing what you know isn't
2: true. Faith is not saying you believe in something that is contrary to the evidence. And again, this points to a common tactic of Dawkins, however, and that is to set up a big straw man— and then tackle that dummy and slam it down on the ground and then do the end zone dance over it as if you just completely, thoroughly refuted and defeated the whole premise of Christianity. And as Pastor Adam points out here very correctly, is that we can speak for the Reformed understanding. This is how it has classically been formulated. It has these three parts, and we will insist on all three parts. It has to have all three of these elements to it. And I, I don't think that, da- that Dawkins has ever, uh, in this book, or maybe even in his own mind, sufficiently interacted
1: with a thoroughgoing, coherent system of biblical religion. Again, though, our critique is primarily of the Church, and we're saying that most people in the Church have never actually attempted to understand faith and what it is. They've just know that it would be wrong or bad to say anything contrary to the faith regardless of what they think of it and we're saying no it is necessary for you to wrestle with what is faith it is necessary for you to wrestle with the facts and to say yes these facts are true or these facts are false but you must wrestle with it
0: okay I'm going to bring us back to that a little bit later because that's important because I can definitely see somebody saying well wait a minute I mean I have some doubts and questions I mean, I believe these things are true, but what about the doubts in my mind? You know, how do I wrestle with that whole issue of doubt? Isn't it sinful to approach this? We're going to come back to that, but I want to take it a little different direction here a minute. I I cannot stress enough to us that when you start with this premise of, I am going to believe something that I know isn't true, or I am going to pretend to believe in something even though it's contrary to the evidence that I really believe is true— it really does have some devastating consequences. I mean, this is something that Dawkins points out. And again, I found myself uh, laughing and crying and and angry in some senses, right along with him for the for the destruction that this kind of idea causes. For example, you know, he talks about. Of course, he re, he terms this. Uh, feigned faith as religious fundamentalism. And he says that it actively debauches the scientific enterprise. It teaches us not to change our minds and not want to know any exciting things that are available to be known. It subverts science and saps the intellect. And you know what? I don't believe that true faith, in fact, on the contrary, true faith will push us toward the scientific enterprise, and will teach us to change our minds when we're wrong and discover exciting things in God's world. However, I agree with him that if you are professing something that you really don't believe is true, it will end up being anti-intellectual and subverting education and science and all the rest of it.
2: Well, one only has to have a cursory knowledge of the events of Western civilization and the history of science to find out that this has happened over and over again, that the Church has with its authoritarian positions and dogmas has completely ruled out of order scientists and their observations about nature and even excommunicated notable scientists from the church because they went against the dogma of the church. And that dogma was not grounded in reason, facts, or scripture. It was just asserted to be true. And there, yeah, there has unfortunately been a very strong, virulent anti-intellectualist trend in Western Christianity. But that doesn't mean that that comes from the Bible. You
1: may have to make that distinction. Actually, that's just human nature. Because even today, if you read some of the scientific literature, and especially with the internet, so much information is available, you'll discover that even today, the non-Christians, the rest of the scientific community, excludes views from discussion that they don't find. Worthy of discussion whether it's because it goes against the common grain of things or because it challenges their beliefs This is common and it's human nature So for him to say simply that oh, this is a problem with Christians or people of faith is really not a justified statement It is something that people do all people do and so it's not simply to the church But to all people we would say open up and actually analyze and think rather than simply go with what you are Sure is the consensus think and th- analyze and then believe.
2: Yeah, this was classically formulated by St. Augustine centuries ago in that famous dictum, A Faith-Seeking Understanding. I think that the Christian, the thoroughgoing, Bible-believing Christian, ha- should have more confidence in actually studying, uh, analyzing nature, science, whatever topic available, with thorough confidence in in knowing that, yeah, there is a wonderful process of discovery and excitement which lies before them when they do it in an intellect, intellectually honest and rigorous way, but they don't have to do it with the presupposition that they're going to find things that contradict uh, essential aspects of their faith, because they won't. God is the maker and framer of this world, therefore we ought to be ought to be committed to a robust system of intellectual discovery and and inquiry simply because we do know that God has made a world that is coherent.
0: Of course, Dawkins in the book cites a series of quotes from Luther and another passage from uh, the early church father, uh, Augustine, trying to show that they were anti-reason and anti-science. Of course, as is typical of Dawkins in this book, many of his quotations uh, it doesn't give you any context, number one, and uh, certainly has not either hasn't done his homework or uh, doesn't uh, want to face up to the fact that the broader context of Luther and Augustine is never that they want to believe things. They don't define faith as opposed to reason. They are arguing against a rationalistic type of knowledge that is apart and divorced from revelation. I want you to understand that in case you're intimidated by the quotes that he gives from Luther and Augustine. They're not arguing against discovery and uh, intellectual advance and changing their mind. What they're arguing against is knowledge divorced from God's revelation, which is the foundation of all truth. But Moses, something you said you pointed out how it's it's not only Christians but unbelievers who engage in this kind of you know automatically dismissing things that don't fit their worldview. But is it just me, or does it seem like we hear a lot more of this from Christians than not? I mean, I guess maybe it's because we run in Christian circles and things. But I, I just find it to be, I mean, maybe maybe I expect more from Christians, so it, it bothers me more. But I. I almost think it's more evil for a person who professes to be a Christian but doesn't really believe it to to say stupid things, say scientifically, or or to just automatically not want to engage any counter-arguments.
1: It's unfortunate because I think it actually betrays that they are afraid. They're afraid to deal with the possibility that the God that they have believed is not true. They don't have confidence in God's real existence. And so... Anything that might challenge it, they want to just shut down before it ever causes them to doubt. And I think that's one of the big problems is that, as John was saying, we have to know and believe that God made all things and therefore all things will testify to him. In fact, of any group, Christians should be the most vigorous and the most desiring of discovering more things about nature and about what God has made. Let, let me ask you guys about this. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested
0: genuinely in your reflections on this um Dawkins tells the story of an American geologist named Kurt Wise, who now directs, I'm reading a quote from his book now, he now directs the Center of, for Origins Research at Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. It is no accident that Bryan College is named after Willing Jennings Bryan, prosecutor of the science teacher John Scopes in the Dayton Monkey Trial 1925. Wise, Dawkins says, could have fulfilled could have fulfilled this boyhood ambition to become a professor of geology at a real university, a university whose motto might have been think critically rather than the oxymoronic one displayed on the Bryan website, think, think critically and biblically. Indeed, he obtained a real degree in geology at the University of Chicago, followed by two higher degrees in geology and paleontology at Harvard, no less, where he studied under Stephen J. Gold, no less. He was a highly qualified and genuinely genuinely promising young scientist well on his way to achieving his dream of teaching science and doing research at a proper university. Then tragedy struck, says Dawkins. It came not from outside but from within his own mind, a mind fatally subverted and weakened by a fundamentalist religious upbringing that required him to believe that the earth, the subject of Chicago and Harvard geological education, was less than 10,000 years old, and he was too intelligent not to recognize the head-on collision between his religion and his science, and the conflict in his mind made him increasingly uneasy. One day, he could not bear the strain no more, and he clinched the matter with a pair of scissors. He took a Bible and went right through it, literally cutting out every verse that would have to go if the scientific worldview were true. At the end of this ruthlessly honest and labor labor intensive exercise, there was so little left of his Bible that, quote, quoting him now, try as I might. And even with the benefit of intact margins throughout the pages of scripture, I found it impossible to pick up the Bible without it being torn in two. I had to make a decision between evolution and Scripture. Either the Scripture was true and evolution was wrong, or evolution was true and I must toss out the Bible. It was there that night that I accepted the Word of God and rejected all that would ever counter it, including evolution. With that, in great sorrow, I tossed into the fire all my dreams and hopes in science. What do we say about this?
2: Well, I think he touches the nerve of a very difficult issue for us as Christians, as those who believe the Bible is 100% inspired and infallible and inerrant, and that is what appears to be a great difficulty between the accounts of creation and Scripture and the available evidence in the geologic column and various other scientific details. And, and I think one thing that we ought to do is take a breath, step back, and and say, okay, God made both forms of revelation, scripture and natural revelation. God does not contradict himself. Therefore, these apparent contradictions can and will be reconciled. But we should not, on the other hand, race towards resolutions and reconciliations of these things and in the process fabricate so-called facts or evidence which explain the, the, the problem or... Uh, rush to explanations which have no explanatory power and are idiotic. And and I think that there is a strain among some fundamentalists, and I I think I see this, and I don't want to be unfair about this, but often in fundamentalist science who are of a literal six-day perspective, they give weak and shoddy so-called scientific proofs, which are supposedly able to reconcile the whole problem, which are extremely simplistic and artificial, and they will not uh, bear the scrutiny of thorough uh, scientific investigation and analysis. And I think that's a prime example of the kind of things that Dawkins is talking about here, and I don't know anything about this geologist named Wise who he cites here. But we ought to be confident that there is an explanation and that it is a worthwhile endeavor to spend your whole life trying to work on this problem and realize you may never find a solution to the problem. That's not sinful. It's not wrong. You may be building a platform upon which others will build, but we should be willing to give this generous amounts of time in order to to arrive at a thorough, sound explanation. And, you know, you got to keep in mind, John, you're talking about being sensitive
0: to good science, but you've got to be sensitive to good exegesis too. I mean, this dogmatism about what exactly the Scripture is proclaiming about the origins of the earth and the timeline of the origins of the earth and whatever, that's also ridiculous and makes us look stupid. I mean, literature professors who don't care one way or another if the Bible is true, look at how some people interpret the scripture and they say, what is wrong with those people? I mean, some of these things are legitimately difficult questions that people have to live with. Dawkins, The point that Dawkins makes that we would agree with is it just shows the You know, when you want to dig in and take a position, when you really don't have a a clear foundation for that position, it doesn't help anything. It does end up thwarting the scientific enterprise, and that should repulse us as Christians even more than uh, somebody like Dawkins.
2: Right. And it also ends up to the undermining of faith in people's minds because they think, oh, OK, this this solution was proposed and it was thought to be credible by the so-called fundamentalist know-it-all and authorities. And it turns out there was exposed as 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 a fraud. And what it does is it secretly undermines the faith of these people thinking, well, maybe there really isn't an explanation and I think what we should do is, is, again, pause. Remember the 19th century when higher criticism of the Scripture was in its heyday? All kinds of things were apparently being unearthed that uh, showed that the biblical record was not trustworthy in a, in, in a number of his historical assertions. But after time, as more investigation was done, more archaeology, uh, archaeological excavations were done, many of those very same things turned out to be proved to be valid and true. So my point is we should be confident and patient at the same time. Do not rush to to silly explanations or weak um, and irrational explanations and just
1: let the facts play out over time. And also, I don't want to get into a debate with our geologist friend here because I don't know exactly what he is Arguing Again, this is a quote being taken by Dawkins, but keep in mind that he may simply be rejecting the scientific consensus, not the scientific facts, and that's a major difference. There is often a consensus that forms around a theory, which others will look at it and say, no, I cannot live with that consensus because I don't believe it's right, whereas the facts are not being rejected. It's just there's multiple ways often of examining and interpreting the same facts. But one thing for Christians I really want to emphasize here, while you might still be able to stubbornly insist on something you don't believe, your children won't. Children sense and detect hypocrisy very easily. And if you go into the Christian church and you say, I will believe these things even though I'm convinced the evidence is against it, your kids are going to figure it out and they are going to leave the church. If your whole goal is to preserve the church, stop the game and intellectually and honestly engage the doubts and resolve them. Okay, one other thing, I'm going to say it here too, because this
2: may not come up later in our discussions, maybe it will, maybe it won't, and it brings into this whole Young Earth discussion and science and everything and how that relates to the biblical record. I am very much opposed, on the other hand, of reading the Bible in light of science, as if science should trump the biblical record. I think what we ought to commit ourselves to— as those people who believe in the inspiration and fallibility of the word, is that we treat the text of Scripture properly, and we interpret it according to the normal rules of exegesis, and we arrive at conclusions that come within the framework of Scripture. And I think a lot is, is done in, in evangelicalism, trying to bring harmony between science and Scripture, and so they come up with, I think, just crazy interpretations of the Genesis accounts, and, and and they come up with very elaborate schemes to interpret these passages so they fit with the latest findings of science and and that is another form of anti-intellectualism that I think is just as dangerous to our faith as this closed-minded anti-intellectualism which he critiques here and exposes is so uh, shoddy. Okay, so false understanding of faith believing
0: something supposedly that you know isn't true or in the face of What you believe to be contrary evidence is destructive because it does undermine uh, thoroughgoing, uh, fair work in the academy. It undermines science. It undermines exploration and and, uh, finding out more about the creation. We agree with that. Another thing that it does, and Dawkins points out, and we agree with him, if this is your conception of faith, it opens the door to all kinds of extremism. You know, so that anybody with religious faith can just say basically whatever they want and then do whatever they want. And how are you going to argue against them if they just say, well, I believe that it's true. And I even in the face of contrary evidence that you might bring up, I don't think it's contrary evidence. And. I may not have to justify everything. I just have faith that it's true. And therefore, for example, I'm going to blow myself up and kill innocent civilian people for, uh, to become a martyr and inherit virgins or you know, fill in the blank. There's, there's hundreds of different things that we could come up with just right off the top of our heads. But don't you see when you foster this religious environment where you can just have faith and by that you mean you can believe whatever you want and not have a defense of it. Well, then anybody can
2: say the same thing and do whatever they want. You can't complain about it. Oh, that brings it back to one of Doc and Scribe is that for so, for some reason everybody gives this very generous respect to faith, saying, "Oh, it can never be criticized because this is somebody's personal ha- heartfelt belief system, and it it helps them make sense and cope with reality and everything." So we have to grant it all this great respect, and we can't be critical of it. No, that's 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 wrong. We we should be very openly critical of false faith, false religion, because it is so dangerous. It does lead to people, you know, strapping bombs to themselves and blowing up people, and leads to crusades and all kinds of of, of horrible things that cause sh- uh, bloodshed, division, and strife. So we should not be we should not be advocating this wall of isolation around religion and saying that there's no such thing as public discourse and critique and debate about it. We should be very eager to engage the world of ideas when it comes to religion, have open, honest discussions, precisely because we don't want the true religion being confused and mingled together with the false religions and just have this uh, fake protection built around it.
0: Yeah, now Dawkins, of course, believes that any faith lacks objective justification And we believe that only false faith lacks objective justification. Unfortunately, people who profess to have true faith, even in Jesus Christ, oftentimes are practicing false faith, and we agree with him that it is open then to the extreme forms of religion, which also lack justification,
2: and this is a typical tactic of of atheistic unbelievers when they engage in debate, because I can remember this when I was listening to the the bonson Stein debate, and Bonson did something that was very interesting. Stein lumped everything together as all the same in religion, and Bonson responded back by saying, "Well, you know what actually i 'd be very happy to join with you in attacking every other religion that 's out there to show them to be false." and and expose the folly of them but but what we're to is to debate Christianity and I think one of the things we have to do is not allow atheists to to lump us together with faith or religion in general and we have to at the same time try to link arm in arm with theists of every stripe and try to defend the general concept of theism that'd be a, a great mistake in defending Christianity we must uh, allow uh, the merits of our opinion stand or fall on the basis for Christianity and not generic theism, generic religion,
0: or false religion in general. I personally, I mean, where I come down on this, I don't blame Dawkins too too much. I mean, I despise everything that he stands for. He's absolutely false. You know, we'll get into our more scathing critiques of him as the series goes on. But you know what? Who can blame the guy? You, you look around, and what is the, the generic brand of religion and of Christianity? I mean, there aren't a lot of people saying you know to atheists what Bonson said in the great debate many years ago before he died who told them no faith is not believing what you know isn't true
2: and i don't accept that and if christians are saying that they don't have the true faith that that god requires nor is christianity this this monstrous consumeristic American idol form of Christianity, which is pretty much propagated all over North American culture, full of sl- slick salesmen and TV evangelists who built people out of money and use their positions of prominence and power to tyrannize people's consciences. We don't stand with them either. We stand with a biblical Christianity that is thoroughly rooted in God's revelation and uh is steeped in reformed interpretation and understanding of the scripture. We'd be very clear about the Christianity we think uh is, is a, a valid option, the only true option over against this Darwin is this Darwinistic atheism of Dawkins. And and we know that we're going to
0: have to answer the critiques of even that understanding of faith. And we're going to do that. We believe very firmly that we have objective justification uh, for our faith. But we'll come to that in a later series and so we got to wrap up today but but we're going to do so by asking kind of a pastoral question I, I mentioned to you in the outset here that that i ran through the gamut of emotions while i was reading this book and i'm not afraid to admit that there were times when i was obviously intimidated and i got a little bit scared and i didn't quite know how we were going to answer that and i didn't really right away these kind of things and uh, obviously uh, i would think given that i've given my life to study of uh, the truths of god and that I've, I've wrestled with the the objective fact of his existence and of his uh the Bible actually being his word, that that if it's true of me, then I'm sure it's true of a lot of us. I I, I want to ask us, you know, how, if you're a person hearing Richard Dawkins speak or reading the Time Magazine article where he's leveling arguments against the existence of God, or maybe you got a hold of this book or you know somebody that read it and they're arguing with you in the coffee shop or whatever, what are you supposed to do when you have doubts? Because it seems like, you know, the people's response is to suppress the doubts because they don't want to offend God by even entertaining the idea that it's not true. Well, maybe
2: just an anecdote from my own experience. Uh, Years and years ago, when I was studying at state school, I took a number of classes in religion, New Testament, and philosophy, and so forth. And I can remember the first time I encountered something similar to this, and that is uh, a professor of mine who had no—in fact, he actually loved poking his finger in the eye of Christianity in particular— but tried to uh, demonstrate to the class through readings and lecture that the entire Christian concept of resurrection was an idea that was borrowed wholesale from the ancient world and particularly from the pagan mystery religions. And I had never heard of anything like that. I thought in in all of the history of religions, the concept of resurrection of a savior was absolutely the, uh, something that stood unique and unparalleled and was part of the proof of the truthfulness of Christianity and so I can remember going through that, and it was something of my own dark night of the soul when I had to wrestle with that for a period of months. And the pastoral advice is this. I think what we ought to do is read what people like Dawkins and even my former professor, what they say. Read it honestly. First of all, understand what they're saying. Don't misrepresent it. Follow the chain of arguments. Grasp the logic of the position. Study the facts. One thing, and I can say this uh As I emerge from that, I emerge from that whole debate and that wrestling with these things with utter confidence in the reliability and uniqueness of Scripture because I began to study it and consult people who were experts in various fields of ancient religion and archaeology and a number of different things. One thing that I was able to conclude from the whole study is that it was nonsense that Paul had borrowed uh, the concept of resurrection from the mystery religions. That There were the slightest bit of parallel between that and the ancient uh, mystery religions and their concept of dying and rising. And what it did was it confirmed my faith even more. And I think that this is the thing we have to do when we approach these things is listen to them. Don't misrepresent the arguments and then wrestle with scripture. Find people who have gone through these similar kinds of things. They've interacted with the things that are being hurled against Christianity and, and interact with them, learn from them. And I believe that through that process, uh, your faith and confidence in the scripture and the reliability of Christian doctrine will only emerge with greater strength and vigor. Now, see, what uh, what I've often
0: heard is, though, but, Pastor, but doubt is sin. So I've got to get rid of the doubt. And and so they think that the way you get rid of the doubt is to suppress it and not to deal with it, not even to entertain it. But what Pastor John is saying is what is more noble, okay? You acknowledge that your doubt is sinful, but you don't want to double up your sin by becoming now intellectually dishonest and pretending that you don't have those doubts. Part of the consequence of living in the fallen human world is that our minds have become corrupted, right? The way that we think, our foolish hearts were darkened, Paul says in Romans 1. Now, if that's true, then when we find ourselves doubting very obvious truths, the truth of God, we find our our faith being weak, We ought not to push away the questions and add lying now to the sin of doubt. But we should engage those questions. As Pastor John is saying, do the research, find out what the answers are to these questions, and don't let it rest until we do. And for some of us, that's going to be a lifelong Process. Some people have more struggles than others, but it is very important to the Lord also to be intellectually honest. He is not telling you to believe something that you know isn't true. He is not telling you to believe something that is contrary to the evidence that he has also provided uh, through nature and that you have in your own experience. And uh, it's wrong for Dawkins to characterize all religious faith that way, but unfortunately Christians have opened themselves uh, to that critique.
2: And another thing is don't demand an answer too quickly. Don't jump too quick to a conclusion that supports your original premise or your original idea in order to feel safe or to get rid of the feelings of vulnerability that you had when you thought your belief system was exposed, because you're always going to have the gnawing doubt underneath of this surface of certitude. You're always going to have underneath there the concern, well, maybe that was true. Because you, you jump to a conclusion far too fast. Be patient. Take your time. Trust the fact that God is true. Surround yourself with the community of believers and the preaching of the word, the context of the church. And I believe wholeheartedly as you engage the complex, difficult issues, you will finally arrive at cognitive rest and your confidence will even grow.
0: Well, sadly, the blood is on our hands, at least some of the blood, right? We've opened ourselves in denying orthodoxy or trivializing it to these critiques and... Maybe the Lord will be gracious to us and use this attack against the faith to uh, wake us up. We'll continue the series on Richard Dawkins and the God Delusion next time on Sinners and Saints.
1: Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.